This episode of Let's Talk About Chef is being brought to you by the New York Times. Right now, you can subscribe to the world's greatest newspaper for a dollar a week. For one dollar, you get full digital access to everything the New York Times writes about every single day and past issues. The best articles, stories, and journalism in the world straight to your phone for four dollars a month. Why get your news from people on Facebook who failed science class and are all of a sudden experts on viruses when you can get it from the actual source? To subscribe to the New York Times, head on over to nytimes.com. Before we get started on this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef, I very quickly wanted to thank everyone for their patience with the lack of episodes lately. Like I said in the last episode, we've been very busy cooking for charity, trying to help others during these COVID-19 times. And quite frankly, I'm finding it hard to talk about food and restaurants when there aren't any and the threat from the COVID virus will affect everything, makes it difficult to find things to talk about. I also want to thank everyone who has been listening to the show. The last few weeks have seen Let's Talk About Chef become popular in places like South Africa, Finland, Austria, and Germany. A lot of people have taken the time to write in to me and say hello, and it means the world to me to see this little show being listened to all over the world. We also reached the milestone of 20,000 subscribers yesterday, which is completely unbelievable. If you want to write into the show, you can send everything to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Instagram at Chef Brian Clark. Wherever you are, I hope that you are happy and safe. And now kick back, relax, and listen to the companion episode to the third episode we ever did. It's a throwback Let's Talk About Chef. That's enough from me. Let's get right into this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. The world has stopped. It seems like every day we get more and more bad news that comes into our phones and across our screens, telling us about death tolls, infection rates, and how the world as we know it will and completely has changed. I spent the last three months basically in my house, cooking for charity and trying to help any way I can, all while reading more and more articles about how the restaurants won't come back about how the life that chefs and cooks had before won't be the same. I have watched heroes of mine, chefs that we all looked up to, become selfish, horrible human beings. Chefs that I had episodes about or wanted to write episodes about turn into people that we never thought were possible. There is a lot of doom and gloom out there. There is a lot of stress. There are a lot of reasons why we all lie awake at night, and so today on Let's Talk About Chef, we're going to take a step away from all of that. We're going to forget all of it. We're going to relax, and we're going to talk about the crazy and untold history of the hot dog.
Hot dogs are magical things. I love hot dogs, and I don't really care what that means. There are fewer things in the world that are more delicious, comforting, and a complete guilty pleasure than crushing three or more hot dogs in less than five minutes on thick buns with ketchup and mustard and mayonnaise. I am a chef, and I have been fortunate enough to have throughout my career eaten more than my weight in foie gras, seafood, truffles, the finest game meats and cheese imaginable. And if I had the choice between all of those amazing things, quite literally some of the best things in the entire world, or a hot dog from a cart on the side of the road, it would be a hot dog every single time. The story of the hot dog doesn't start with hot dogs. You don't get to the questionably filled meat in tube form unless we first have sausage, and the origin of sausage dates back to as early as 800 BC when it was written about by the legendary Greek writer Homer in his Odyssey. The Odyssey described goat sausages being cooked on a grill as, when a man besides a great fire has filled a sausage with fat and blood and turns it this way and that and is very eager to get it quickly roasted. Around the same time that Homer was writing about the delicious virtues of sausages, in one of the most famous books ever written, cooks in China were creating their own versions of meat in tube form using lamb and pork. There is a legend that Roman Emperor Nero's chef, whose name was Gaius, struck a knife into a roasted pig that hadn't been cleaned properly and the puffed up intestines fell out. He's quoted as saying, I have discovered something of great importance. And he was so excited about those weird puffed intestines that he filled them with raw venison, spices, and garlic and cooked the first sausages in Rome. The city of Frankfurt, Germany has laid claim to having invented the hot dog, or Frankfurter, in 1487, a full five years before Columbus set sail for America. The city of Vienna in Austria also says that they invented the hot dog around the same time, and this feud between the two countries is quite literally still happening today. Both cities celebrated the 500th birthday of the hot dog a while ago, and both cities still relatively hate one another because of hot dogs. Despite the city hatred, sausages made their way across the world and into Europe, where early Europeans seemed to enjoy making theirs out of donkey meat. During the Renaissance, that changed to horse meat. Lamb was used in Muslim countries, and cooks in France prepared their sausages with goose meat. Sausages, like most foods, are intensely regional. Their recipes and ingredients are as different as we all are, and yet the idea of packing meat inside of a casing and then grilling it seemed to spread across the world rapidly. In Germany, the sausage became a national food and one that is indicative of its country's cuisine, and it wasn't until German immigrants started to make their way from their homeland to the new world of America that hot dogs were born. In the 1850s, the first ever hot dog stands in America were sold out of a food cart in Manhattan, and they were called Dachshund Sausages. Those early hot dogs were very similar to what we know as hot dogs today, cheap cuts of meat that were pulverized into a paste and jammed into a casing. They were named after the German Dachshund or Wiener Dog. In 1867, a German immigrant named Charles Feltman opened the very first hot dog stand on Coney Island. He called his signature Frankfurter the Coney Island Red Hot, and it was served with mustard, sauerkraut, and diced raw onions. Feldman's Red Hots were the talk of the town. When President William Howard Taft visited Coney Island, he dined on one to show how humble and with it he was, and even a young Al Capone would eat one every single night when he was a teenager after working his shift at a nightclub. 
Feltman originally sold his Red Hots from a pie cart that he converted to handle his hot dogs. In his first year of operations alone, he sold more than 36,000 of them, resulting in him opening a massive restaurant that he called Feltman's that took up two city blocks and could serve 10,000 people eating hot dogs at a time. When you have success and a monopoly on a business that was making as much money as Feltman's Red Hots were, it doesn't take long for competition to show up. And the competition was in the form of a young man named Nathan Handworker, who had worked at Feltman's for one year, making $11 a week slicing buns. Handworker wanted so badly to open his own hot dog cart that he slept on the floor of Feltman's, lived entirely off of hot dogs so he didn't have to buy other food, and managed over the year to save $300, and with that money he opened his own hot dog stand called Nathan's Famous, just a block down from the Feltman's that he had worked at. He charged five cents for his hot dogs, where Feltman charged 10, and his quickly became the most popular spot on the boardwalk, resulting in the closing of Feltman's and Nathan's Famous to become just that, Nathan's Famous. By 1893, the hot dog was a staple of baseball parks all over America. Historians believe that the hot dog's popularity in ballparks was due to Chris Von De Age, the owner of the St. Louis Browns, who also owned a local bar near the Ball Diamond. He introduced hot dogs to be paired with beer during baseball games at his stadium, an idea that took off and made the hot dog the nation's number one food to eat while enjoying the nation's number one sport, and also the best way to eat while also drinking. Other historians... And yes, there are different sides of hot dogs history. They claim that Harry Stevens, who had a concession stand at the New York Giants baseball stadium, actually was first to introduce hot dogs to the ballparks, calling them also Red Hots. The word hot dog began appearing in college magazines in the 1890s, where students at Yale University began to refer to the wagons selling hot sausages and buns outside of their dorms as dog wagons. One of the most popular carts was even called the Kennel Club. At Yale University, it didn't take long for the word dog to transform to hot dog. And the first ever actual writing of the word hot dog came from an October 19th, 1895 issue of the Yale Record, which referred to people in an article munching on hot dogs. The hot dog continued its rise in North America as a staple of summer and baseball and 4th of July celebrations. By 1939, the hot dog was on the menu at the White House. And during that year when Roosevelt hosted Queen Elizabeth and King George of England to talk about how to deal with Hitler and the Nazis in Germany, they ate hot dogs. When the Queen was presented with her red hot in a bun and condiments on the side, she looked at Roosevelt and asked him, how am I supposed to eat this? The press leading up to the picnic had a field day as the country was worried that serving hot dogs to royalty would make America seem ridiculous. But in her weekly newspaper column, the First Lady wrote that so many people were worried about the dignity of our country will be imperiled by inviting royalty to a picnic, particularly a hot dog picnic. But the hot dogs proved to be a great hit, and King George enjoyed them so much that he asked for seconds. The menu that the President served to the King at England was 
Virginia ham, hot dogs if weather permits, smoked turkey, cranberry jelly, green salad, rolls, strawberry shortcake, and then coffee, beer, and soft drinks. After World War II ended, America went through another change, and that was from living in crowded cities to going to the new suburbs that were popping up everywhere. Every house in the suburbs wasn't complete without a barbecue in the backyard, and the popularity of hot dogs went up even further still. Now, despite the popularity of hot dogs, there was always the persistent rumor that hot dogs are made up of lips, feet, buttholes, and other less than delicious parts of an animal ground into a paste and salted within an inch of their lives to mask the taste. Songs have been written about it. Stories of factories turning these offcuts into food aren't really that far from the truth, but this should kind of set the record straight. Hot dogs are an all-American fare, but most likely it was German sausage makers who first came up with the idea. In fact, there are reports of German immigrants selling them from push carts in New York's Bowery as far back as the 1860s. A century and a half later, hot dogs are still the number one treat on the street. Traditional hot dogs are made from a mix of pork, beef, and chicken. The cuts they start with are called trimmings, pieces of meat left over from cutting steaks or pork chops. The trimmings are ground the same way butchers chop up hamburger meat, by pushing the cuts through grated metal plates. Processed chicken trimmings are added to the ground meat, followed by food starch, salt, and other flavorings. These flavorings vary depending on where the hot dogs are to be sold, because people in different regions have different tastes. Water is sprayed into the mix, and everything is blended together in a big vat. Corn syrup adds a dash of sweetness. The addition of even more water helps to disperse the ingredients and make the hot dogs juicier. Another machine then purees the meat batter into a fine emulsion and vacuums out any air. of cellulose tubing are loaded into the stuffing machine. It pumps the meat puree into these casings, twisting it every five and a quarter inches, the length of one hot dog. It takes just 35 seconds to make a chain of hot dogs that would span a soccer field twice. Those hot dog chains are linked together to make an even longer string, and they're loaded several at a time into another machine which drapes the hot dogs onto moving racks. The process is carefully timed so that a twist always lands on the bar. The racks shunt the hot dogs through a liquid smoke shower, then into an oven with several cooking zones. The liquid smoke seeps through the casing and adds flavor to the dogs as they bake.
hot out of the oven, these franks are drenched in cold, salty water to chill them in preparation for packaging. The hot dogs then file down to an unloading zone. Here, a machine pulls them off the bars onto a conveyor. Then, the hot dogs slide off the conveyor into metal containers. If you've been wondering about those black stripes on the casings, all is about to be revealed. The stripe is a marker attached to the casing. The absence of a black stripe means the hot dog is cooked and ready for packaging. Inside the peeler machine, a tiny knife slits each casing along the top. Then, steamy air blows the casings right off the dogs. This machine peels 700 hot dogs a minute. An inspector makes sure the casing has been completely removed and that there are no defects in the dogs. Then, it's into a device that looks like a plastic bicycle chain. The sprockets position the hot dogs for packaging. This factory manufactures an incredible 300,000 hot dogs an hour. That's close to two and a half million per shift. They really do churn them out like sausages. Fire up the grill and a mouth-watering meal is just minutes away. During the pandemic of COVID-19, during this lockdown in times when businesses are closing at record rate, the hot dog has seemed to not only survive, but also flourish. People are buying hot dogs again, and in insane numbers. Back in 2015, two brothers from New York City got the idea to reopen Feltman's stand in Coney Island, making and selling the hot dogs that were once the most popular item on the boardwalk. And for the last five years, they have sold their hot dogs in modest numbers. But since March of this year, their business has gone up almost 300%. Other Brooklyn-associated hot dog companies are seeing their sales go through the roof as well. The Brooklyn Hot Dog Company, who is known for flavored hot dogs like Buffalo Chicken, have seen their online business grow as well by 300% over the last few months. And that is because people can't go to restaurants. And that is because hot dogs are simple and easy to make and also completely delicious. The hot dog has been around for a long time. And a lot of countries want to take ownership over its creation and tend to get into arguments about it. Like most things in the world, there are people that take its history and origin way too seriously. There are actual hot dog historians. That is a job that you can have. There are hot dog fanatics who only eat hot dogs to survive. And then there are people like me. People that eat hot dogs because they are awesome. History aside, I know that making a show about hot dogs seems kind of ridiculous. And it's kind of silly. But if you were to ask a New Yorker what should go on a hot dog, versus a person from Chicago what should go on a hot dog, and then tell them that they're wrong, you will quite literally see how something as simple as what you put on a hot dog can be such a big deal. In New York, you put steamed white onions and yellow mustard on your hot dogs. 
In Chicago, the hot dog is layered with yellow mustard, relish, raw onion, pickle spears, sport peppers, tomato slices, and topped with celery salt and served only in a poppy seed bun. In Atlanta, they are topped with coleslaw and Vidalia onions. In Kansas City, it's sauerkraut and then melted Swiss cheese. In Colorado, it's grilled peppers, sauerkraut, and onions. At Fenway Park in Boston, your hot dog comes with mustard and relish only. In Texas, you put chili and jalapenos. In Michigan, it's chili and mustard. In West Virginia, it's chili, mustard, then coleslaw, and it has to be on a steam bun. In Alaska, the hot dogs are made from venison and served with onions sautéed in Coca-Cola. And in Philadelphia, your hot dog is sitting on the bun next to a deep-fried fish cake with vinegar, coleslaw, and spicy mustard. There are literally dozens of different regional and national ways to prepare hot dogs. Each one is fiercely protected, and those who eat it are proud of it. And unfortunately, it's a shame that all of these places are wrong. You're wrong, and the only way to eat a hot dog is with ketchup, mustard, and relish. Deal with it. There. Do you see how mad you just got? You care about hot dogs, just like me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. It was written by me, Brian Clark. I want to thank the New York Times for letting me talk about them this week and also how it's made. If you want to write into the show, you can send everything to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com or you can follow me on Instagram at Chef Brian Clark. We will be back as soon as we can be, but until then, as always, I hope that you stay safe, stay healthy, and eat some hot dogs. And have a great service, and have a great week. The boy's obviously insane. He grabbed my arm and I said, ouch, as I landed on the psychiatric couch. He said, tell me all about it. Well, the whole thing started at three o'clock fast. It was all over by quarter past. I was down in the sewer with some little lover when I peeked out from a manhole cover wondering who turned the lights on. Well, I got up and I walked around up and down the lonesome town just wondering which way to go. I lit a cigarette on a parking meter and I walked on down the road. It was a normal day. I saw a man, I said, howdy friend, I guess it's just us two. He screamed, down the road he flew. Thought it was a communist. I remember reading some newspaper ads, so I turned on McConnell Rad, but I didn't pay the con ed bill, so the radio didn't work so well. I turned on my record player. Uh, it didn't work either. I looked in the closet, though, and there was Donovan. Donovan.